We literally don't care if you don't like cuss words. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Okay. Are we back? I guess we are. So, I feel like I forgot how to start it. What do I say? Greetings? Greetings. Mm Mm-hmm. Grab your green tea lemonade. Well, really, we want you to just grab a green tea and like cleanse with us. Yeah. But I think having it be lemonade is a cheater way. Yeah, you know, it gives a little bit of sweet. But it has to be unsweetened. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little kick. Because we on that new, new shit now. It's been like four fucking months. So we on that new, new shit. Yeah, we took a, we took an unplanned hiatus. Okay, so first of all, this is that black couple. This is Jen. This is Darren. So before we start the episode, I'm going to sit here and apologize, okay? So I'm sorry. Uh, we haven't released an episode in like four months. And it's my fault because I'm a PhD student and I had to do research and I did not realize that it would take over my entire fucking life. So uh, my bad. Well, it, didn't, it didn't just take over your life. Okay, sorry. It took over my entire fucking life and my children's lives and my spouse's life and my mother's life and my friend's lives and pretty much anybody who remotely knows me's lives. And I didn't talk to people and I went into an underground rock cave until I finished my interviews and drafted all of my job market materials and a chapter of my dissertation. And now I have emerged. Yeah. Is that accurate? That's pretty accurate. That's pretty accurate. And then I went to Texas, and then I went to New York, and now I'm going to Boston, and also California, and also Virginia, and I also have a other whole bunch of other trips. So, mm-hmm. just to say, don't go to grad school. But, but don't don't discourage. So that's just the the lesson here is don't go to grad school. Don't, don't discourage. Grad school is a wonderful thing. It's always a good idea to expand your horizons and and you know learn and grow and. So the person who has not gone to grad school. I have plans. And so, somehow I watched you go through it and I'm still planning on You're going to get an MFA. I know. I'm talking about a PhD. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, if you really want to do it and you're really serious about it, then do it. Well, we need, we need more scholars of color. If you, if you, if you are halfway about it, if you think about it and you on, you teetering, don't do it. Yeah, you got to be 100 You got to be 100. Sure. You got to be all in. Both feet. Both feet. Your elbows, arms, ankles. Fingers, knees, and toes. Fingertips. Nose. Everything has to be in. So, I just want to, I just wanted to start the episode with that. So, we've been gone a long time. That, that's our mea culpa. That's our mea culpa. It's my fault. My bad, y'all. I'm so sorry. And I'm going gonna, gonna to live in this because it's almost always my fault. So, this time it's not me. Why you got to rub shit in? I'm not rubbing it in. I'm a living this because it's always, always my fault. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dogging you. I'm celebrating me. 
That's a nice way to be trash. <laughs> so, so anyway, before we start the episode, I also want to update us on where we've been. So over the four, last four months, yes, I've been doing my research, but we've also been trying to get our heads together and our bodies together. We've been doing yoga. We've been doing Reiki, you know, getting our chakras together. Acupuncture. We've been doing acupuncture. So we've really been trying to get ourselves together. And it's actually very apt because here we are, the sixth episode of our second season of That Black Couple, episode 18. And this episode is actually called Do Good Work and Don't Be Trash. It's a, it's a saying. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Um, I don't know if other people say it. I would like to say that I coined the term. I, I would. I don't think I've heard it prior to you, so I think you're allowed to take ownership of that. It's my mantra. Mm-hmm. It's how I live my life. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a person who subscribes to the idea we should do good work and not be trash. So in the opening section, uh, we're going to talk about how we were introduced to the topic. And it's not that exciting because it was just someone said something to me and I was like, hey, do good work and don't be trash. Weren't they asking like for advice? Yes. And that, that's the best and advice And sadly, you can I give. offer this advice all the time. <laughs> I think you can Google it on Twitter and I'll pop up. Um, and then we'll also talk about kind of what this means when you think about how we show up in the world. And then finally, in the reflection, we'll talk about ways that we can apply this in our real lives. So what we want you to do is if you're looking to figure out how to get in touch with us online, how to follow us and see what we're doing, you can find us on various social media platforms. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple. You can find us on Facebook at that black couple. And you can look us up on the internets at thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you have to rate us high because, you know, we came back. So we're going to need all them ratings. That's a weird reason. Again. Do I do I need to give a better reason? Yeah, that's terrible. Okay. You need to rate us high because I don't think that there are any other podcasts in the world that are led by a black couple as dynamic as we are. That's a good answer. There we go. Ding, ding, ding. You win. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. So we got to go to first things first? Yeah, let's do first things first. Okay, you want to start? You want me to start? This is your mantra. This is your motto. So I think you need to kick things off. Okay, so basically, the way this came up, I was doing a talk, I think it was February or March, at uh, UChicago, where I'm a grad student. And I was talking to like other graduate students who were in the Harris School of Public Policy. And it was predominantly a room, like a room full of uh, women of color who were trying to think about strategies and ways to navigate higher education, ways to navigate corporate America, ways to navigate like the spaces that they would be in, which are predominantly white and male spaces. So in this room full of predominantly young women of color, they asked me a question. They said, okay, so you're an activist. You, um, you know, do some social organizing, you write, you are really committed to social justice and you know, you're an academic. How do you do all this stuff and not get frustrated by the people who kind of are posers, the people who say they're doing this work and they're not actually doing it. The people who are quick to raise their hand and be in the front and take the pictures and hug the babies and shake the hands, but actually don't do any work. And it's interesting because there's a lot of people like this, right? Like it's not like this is, um, a rare phenomenon. This is actually very nope. common. common. Um, and it's actually common in all the fields that I'm in, right? So like writers, activists, social organizers, uh, academics, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, talk the talk and do not walk the walk. Um, so when it comes time to actually 
do something with what we're saying, right? So taking our theoretical ideas about black feminism or about uh, liberation or critical race studies and actually turn it into some type of praxis. So turning it into something that we actually apply in our daily lives, a lot of people don't do that and have no intention of doing so. They see the writing or the activism or the social organizing sometimes as just a day job. They want the shine. They don't, they don't, they're not actually there for the cause. Right. They want the status. And so my answer to this person was, you know, I really don't give a fuck about them, to be honest. I don't waste my time um, worried about what other people are doing with their time. My mother raised me that way. She raised me like, listen, you can't control what other people do, but you can control what you do and how you react to other people. So there's only certain things in your control. And if you worry about all this stuff that's out of your control, you're going to lose your mind. So for me, I told him, I said, you know, what I focus on is doing good work and not being trash. And what I mean by that is I want my work to stand out and speak for itself. When you read something I've written, whatever platform it's on, when you look at my dissertation work, when you look at the methods that I apply, when you speak to people who I've spoken to in the field, I expect that they're talking about things that I've done that are very high quality, that are ethical, that are high in moral and philosophical commitment. I would expect that they would say things that are pretty much that I, I respected them, right? And you know, I feel like there's ways that we can actually kind of hold one another accountable to that to that end. And we don't have to call out people who are doing bad work or who are being trash because it bubbles to the top. It's like mm-hmm. when you have a set of, when you have like a dozen eggs and there's one that's cracked. You don't need to be like, oh my God, it's a cracked egg. Look at the cracked egg. Right. Well, no, it's just a cracked egg. We can all see we it. We can all see it. <laughs> you know, and I feel like there's ways that When you're doing this work, that also comes up. That also comes up. And I feel like when we do good work, that work stands out. That work stands alone. There's a reason why we still, to this day, cite the Kombahi River Collective and Angela Davis and Bill Hooks and Kathy Cohen and Patricia Collins. There's a reason why these folks have endured for generations. And there's another reason why there's a lot of names we don't cite anymore. There's there's a reason for that. Um, There's a reason why when people, even if they do good work, if they're trash individuals who disrespect people or who don't respect actually everyone's background, where they come from and how that builds on who we are, especially as black people and marginalized people, why they don't actually have a place among the groups that they're actually trying to to work with. Mm -hmm. So you see them and you see that they're, you know, kicking it with people who really don't represent us. Or they're hanging out the Golden Globes with a blue vest on over a tuxedo. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how you know. That's how you know. And the the thing is, when you're working hard, when you're doing whatever you're doing, you want to be doing something that's worthwhile and that will last. And so, like, to your point, a lot of times what happens is, especially nowadays, people are very caught up in the moment. They're very caught up in the now. Like, what is happening right now? I want to be on top now. I want people to be talking about my name right now. But when you think about even some of those names that that you listed, they weren't the top names like right when they did whatever they did. That's true. Right. It wasn't like they it wasn't like Martin Luther King, you know, stepped on the stage and everyone's like, Martin, woo! you know, (laughs) that's that's not that was not what it was like. And the reason was because they were doing something that was pushing it against the norm. Right. But they were also doing things that were worthwhile and had real meaning. And that's why their work has lasted. I agree. That's why we still talk about them now. And we don't talk about some of those other people. I agree. I agree. I think that status seeking is inherently something that kind of sullies a lot of our movements and a lot of our work today. A lot of the work that we have to do is going to have low status. It's going to be underfunded. It's going to be unpopular. 
platforms are not going to want to pay people for it. The universities are not going to want to give out fellowships for it. It's work that they're going to deem unimportant. And so we have to fight to ensure that that work gets done and that we are, you know, making sure that we are centering voices that are the least centered in our spaces that we're typically in, especially if they are predominantly white spaces. And that's not going to be the work that people are going to say, oh my gosh, you should be on the cover of Time Magazine. It's just not. And I'm very wary of when, we have an episode on this, like when white people like you. I'm very wary of when the mainstream is like, oh, you're in. Like that makes me very cautious. It makes me very cautious. So I'm like, oh, if you like me and you feel like I apply to your audience or that I am digestible to you, then I feel like maybe I'm not doing this right. Right. Because you're the status quo. (laughs) So so if you are the norm and you're like, yeah, you come on in, then I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm not challenging myself. Yeah, let me take a step back and reevaluate. Absolutely. <laughs> because something something must be out of place. Something lost in translation. Either either the world has changed radically overnight or I've 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 lost my touch. Absolutely. So tell us about this Don Richards song you've been talking about. So, okay, so I've been working in in corporate America for longer than I care to even admit at this point, <laughs> but I prescribe to doing good work and not being trash. And so a lot of times what that means is I'm not going to be the loudest person. I'm not going to be the one that always raises my hand and always wants to be in front and always wants to get the shine. And that's a hard place to live in when you do, when you're working in corporate America. But what I do focus on is I always make sure that the work that I'm doing is good. Mm -hmm. Whether or not people are noticing or recognizing, I always make sure that my work is good. And so what I've come, what I've come to see in, in corporate America works the same way where You'll be doing good work and you might not get the recognition and someone else might do something really good that one time. Yeah. Everyone wants to celebrate them and say how great they are. Yeah. But to the, in, in that same vein, those people get exposed. If they're not actually really good, they can do something good that one time and then they'll fall off. Yeah. It's the people that have been there a long time that have that longevity that really kind of bubble up to the top. And the same way happens if you're working someplace and they don't recognize you after you've been there for a long time. You know that you do good work and that you don't need them. You can move on and, and go someplace else. And that's right. what I've done. And going back to that Don Richards song, there's a song she put out. It's called Waves. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I listened to it and I was like, this song is just so dope. Because it was basically a song about looking at yourself and saying, I'm fucking amazing. Yeah. And the only reason a lot of these people are doing well and think that they're doing so great is because of the work that I'm doing. Not 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 because of how great they are. Listen. A lot of times people will copycat or they'll try to ride the coattails and then try to make it seem like they're so great. And it's like, no. There's a lyric in the in the song. She says, Sometimes they seem to forget that you are the only reason that they're slaying. Mm-hmm. So people really be walking out thinking they're slaying. And it's like, well, it's it's not really you. Yeah. It's not really you. It's me. Yeah. And I know that. And sometimes I need to remind you that that's why. And there's also a line she says, um, if you at your job and they promote everybody who ain't shit, it's okay. Take a second to remember that you deserve this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing is sometimes some people who really do have that integrity, who really do that great work, who really are there for the right reasons, who are really about the cause. Sometimes I think we are more likely to actually shy away Mm -hmm. and not want that shine and not want to be in the front and not get all the accolades. But every once in a while, you do kind of have to, like, toot your own horn. Absolutely. Every once in a while, you have to say, yeah, I did that shit. That Absolutely. was me. Because it's also valuable to honor yourself in the in the 
the efforts that you put into all your endeavors. And I think also like thinking about race, gender, class, sexuality, and the intersections thereof, there are ways that we are just socialized not to toot our own horn. Right. And to think that if we say anything positive about ourselves or if we believe anything positive about ourselves, that somehow we're overconfident or we're over embellishing, we're lying and we don't deserve the, the accolades. Whereas when you think about white, cis, heterosexual, middle-class men who have been coddled their whole lives and told that they're perfect and that they can do everything that they have ever put their minds to, they are very good at over embellishing and lying and put pumping up resumes and CVs and all this shit. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they actually don't have the goods, right? So it's a really difficult thing to traverse because you have to you have to do good work and not be trash, but then you have to also be able to acknowledge like, yeah, I'm dope and it's okay that I'm dope. It's okay that I'm dope and I'm going to own how dope I am and I'm not going to let anybody else take that away from me. Thank you for listening. We are the proud founders of watercoolerconvos.com, a platform at the intersections of blackness, culture, and adulting. We started that black couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young black millennial folks navigating the anti-black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance. If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash watercoolerconvos. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash watercoolerconvos. All donations are welcome. You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. And we are back. We back. A we back. A we back. You're so excited. I am. I'm just, so <laughs> glad. I'm just glad to be here. It's been too long. I'm glad to be counted in number. <laughs> All right. So it is time for the conversation. Yes. And so during the conversation today, what we really want to talk about is how we ourselves model that motto of doing good work and not being trash. Correct. So for me, what that means, it actually means a lot of things. In my daily walk in life, what it really means, I think, is how I kind of walk through life as a man. Mm -hmm. A big piece of that, I think, is really trying to check myself at every point imaginable and making sure that I'm not taking advantage of my privileges, making sure that I'm aware of my surroundings and how I treat other people. It's It's really, to me, all about kind of who I am in the world and making sure that that person is not a trash ass person. So, and also part of it is, is I feel like as a man, we're kind of bred and, and led to believe either through, you know, our home lives or through society that we really don't need to be checked. Correct. Like if people criticize us, we don't have to take that criticism seriously. Correct. Or, or we can interrogate who the criticism is coming from and say, well, you're not worth criticizing me. So I don't have to take into account anything that you have right. to say. Right. And that includes black men. Cause I think a lot of people think that when we say a man, we're talking only about cis heterosexual middle-class white men 
but this is true for cis heterosexual black men as well who often wield the power of the state and white supremacy against for instance black women and femmes who they think are less than and so they will often hop into respectability or hop into whatever dynamics they need to to say oh well you don't get to say something about me but yes continue. well and and you know to to back off of that as well a lot of times you know and we talked about this before on the podcast how a lot of times if you are deemed you know one of the good ones yeah that just gives you even more power to say uh, oh well you definitely don't need to listen to anybody because you're one of the good ones you, good you black clearly... men are the fucking work of the enemy <laughs> well and that's that's a blanket statement and and i i know why you're saying it but because i would i would argue that i am one of the good ones no you're not <laughs> can i can i finish go ahead I would argue that I'm one of the good ones, you know, I got one of them good jobs with the good benefits and, you know, I'm a dad and I, you know, give my kids bath and make sure they brush their teeth at night, you know. And you're straight. And I'm straight. And you cisgender. Yeah. And and now, and this is, this is one of those developments that's happened since we've been off. Now, now I'm cooking dinner too. (laughs) (laughs) Nigga, don't ever say now I'm cooking dinner too. Now I am. I love that you're telling on yourself. You just told the whole podcast. It's okay. We've been married for 12 years. We've been together for 16 years. And you just told the podcast that you now cooking dinner. You just told on yourself. I'm being honest and I don't, I don't care. It's true. <laughs> I, I didn't cook. You were a great cook. I said, you can handle it. And then I said, you know what? You got a lot on your plate. Yeah, you did. Maybe I should help. Grad school happened and you were like, wow, this is this is a lot. I can I can do other things. Yeah, I can be a whole human person who f- makes food. But the problem with that is on the back end is then it's like, oh, you're so great. You don't have to do anything else. So so the reason why I said you're not a good black man, the reason why I said that is because I often feel like the good black man narrative is not only wielded by the black man himself, but also the society around him. Yeah. And I think that while other people have projected that title onto you, and maybe when you were younger, like in your teen years, you you sat comfortably in that. I do think that as an adult, you have said, I'm gonna challenge that and I'm gonna struggle with that. And I know that I'm flawed and I know that I have privilege and I know that I do some fucked up shit, which to me is really important. So I I understand what you're saying about like, you know, you would be deemed a good black man. But I also think that one of the key components about that type of mythology, that type of stereotype is that if you're sitting in it and saying, nah, fuck that shit. Like, I'm not trying to be that. And I'm not, I'm not going to take that. That's, that's not good enough for me. That's also significant. And the, and the, I mean, there's also a lot of problematic aspects to that that term in absolutely. and of itself, right? Absolutely. There's who gets to be deemed good and who gets to be deemed bad. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I was speaking from a outward in. Yeah. And and like we just said, there's a lot of problems. There's with a that. lot of issues. But, with that. <laughs> so, but to that point, that is why, you know, we all need to look at ourselves and say, am I being trash? Is is there a point here where where I'm taking advantage of certain things and certain aspects to to just wield my privilege in a way that does make me trash because someone, someone else said maybe I'm not trash because you know, I cook dinner one night a week or something like we, we have to always be constantly checking ourselves to make sure we're not falling into that trash category. Like when people compliment you for sticking around. Right. 
And and to be honest, what happens is, and this is this is, I'm not sure if we said this on on the podcast before, but we always have this this running joke where we'll go up to a restaurant, yeah, and we'll be sitting with our kids and we'll be eating, you know, we'll just just having a normal meal, minding our black ass business, and we'll you like you can feel it like the hairs on on your the back of your neck stand up, <laughs> and you're like. Some white person's about to come over here and tell me how amazing we are as a black family because we're sitting here and we're eating like civilized individuals. You can just you can feel like the like the wind shifts, like there's a chill it's that like, comes oh over. God, whiteness is coming. <laughs> it's like on Game of Thrones. It's not winter, it's whiteness. Whiteness is coming. Whiteness is coming. And inevitably it happens. Someone walks over and they're like, Oh my gosh, I've just been watching you and your children and they're just so well behaved and so wonderful. Your son said thank you. Like, and oh. like, of course you're gonna say, "Well, thank you Thanks, for the compliment." Like, I guess, but it's also really confusing because it's like I don't need to be complimented. My other favorite <laughs> is when older black women uh, walk up to you. Oh my god! And tell you from meeting you for the first time, seeing you for about mm, forty five seconds, and saying to you, "Oh my god! Oh, you're here! Oh, oh, you're here! You're present." You're present in the lives of your wife and your children. You're here. And that is enough. Oh, that, that is enough. And you, oh my gosh, just bless you. Bless your it. heart and your family. I love it because they'll walk up to me and they'll say, thank you. And I'm like, what? For what? For, for Why what? are you thanking me? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I didn't do anything I, for I, you. I never, I don't know your name. I actually don't know who you are. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a black male role model to your sons. Thank you for being in the life of your wife. Thank you. Thank you. It's like, oh, my God. It's like, you're welcome. Jesus, bless this. Bless it. Bless it. I'm sorry. You continue. You finish. I, I only had one other point that I want to talk I'm gonna about. I'm going to let you finish. Go ahead. Because like I said, we always do have to constantly check ourselves. And it's also not in just how we walk around in the world. It's how we actually lead our lives and, and even in our professions. And for me, as someone who is a writer, who's, who is aspiring to, to write novels and stories and do all of these things, to me, when I write my stories, I always make sure. And I ask, honestly, constantly go back and check and, and debate with myself and, and even like share my work with other people and ask them to make sure the characters that I'm portraying are not falling into stereotypes. Because far too often, um, characters of color, especially black characters, are really cast as stereotypes. Yeah. And far too often, this happens even in stories now that are written by people of color. Absolutely. And so to me, I'm like, when I have someone, you know, who's a kid that's grown up on the south side of Chicago, I don't want to paint them with a brush that is the same brush that they get painted on the news or in Correct. all the narratives. or in, Because we, number one, know that that's not accurate. And we also know that people are people correct and so no one is 100 good no one is 100 bad we all have humanity right and that needs to shine through whenever we are portraying people and right. this this goes to all the entertainment work that i do on our website as well when i whenever i talk about you know all these projects where now in hollywood it, it's all in vogue to have you know diversity and have people of color and have different you know sexual your points of view and our, it's like well that's great we do need to have that stuff represented but when you're representing that it also has to show that there's humanity there. Correct. Correct. And I think what I've always appreciated about your stories is like, as a queer woman, I like seeing that you always have like queer characters and they're not sensationalized by who they're interested in or who they're sleeping with or who they're not sleeping right, with. That's, that's not what they lead with. They're people who like eat things and like 
go outside and they play video games. And like, it's funny because people don't realize how, you know, as queer people, when we navigate the world, we often are just seen as like, I don't know, these caricatures. And so like you're navigating with people who, you know, think of you in hypersexualized ways or who don't understand how you can be in relationships with someone of the same gender or different genders and not want to sleep with them. <laughs> and like just want to hang out and eat breakfast yeah you know and i and that's one thing i've always appreciated about your work is that i feel like you are very good about saying like yeah these are people um and so yeah let's like treat them like people that's that's not hard to do um it shouldn't be hard to do but unfortunately we see this repeatedly in you know books novels stuff on new york times bestsellers list and they still can't figure out that people of color, black folk, queer folk, trans folk, actually are just folk, and sometimes we just want to be folk. It's an it's an aspect of a person. Like, right. I like the color blue, and I like to watch TV, and then there's a certain type of person that I love. Correct. <laughs> it's not like I'm I'm in that category of people that likes the color blue. So right. now everything that I do has it's to be regulated by this blueness. By. That just it just doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like that's important. So like, and I think, you know, I try to do this as well in my work as an academic. People who know my work from the internets know, like, I purposely go into spaces, ones that are usually predominantly white (laughs) or like ones that are predominantly heterosexual. And I'm always like, hey, hey, you, hey, history and the race and stuff and the gays. Like, that's usually me. And it's mainly because like that to me is doing good work and not being trash. Like, I want to make sure that like, when we talk about, you know, like, for instance, Equal Pay Day, this recent article I wrote for Teen Vogue, or when we talk about prison abolition, this whole issue with Kim Kardashian trying to do prison abolition, or when we talk about, you know, any kind of pressing current contemporary topics that we're rooting it in our racial history, because that colors everything, that we're rooting it in our gendered history, in our sexual history, in our past, that is obviously very present in today's politics and in today's social life. And for me, like that's doing good work. I cannot stand, I cannot stand this propensity in both the media and the academy to disconnect contemporary issues from history Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, we're talking about politics. We're not talking about history. Well, I think part of the problem there is people don't know the history. Right. And they'd rather not know the history, so they'll just root it in the, in the modern moment. Right. We have to read the books, you guys. Like, y'all, we got to read the books, and we have to pay attention to what happened and how it got us here. Like, you cannot, I firmly believe you cannot do good work in anything today in the U.S. that affects people's actual lives without actually knowing how we got here. I don't know how you could possibly do social work, how you could do good medicine, how you could be a good psychotherapist or, or psychiatrist, how you could do anything without actually knowing some history of that field and how people have come to it and how people have approached it in the past. I do not understand it. I don't understand it. To me, that's like the critical component of doing good work. Where do we come from and what are actual people experiencing today? Right. That's why in my dissertation, I was like, I have to talk to people. I'm going to go and immerse myself in black folk. My project is about black people and threat. I have to go talk to actual black people. I can't sit in a lab on a campus and crunch numbers and think that I'm going to come up with an answer. You can't you can't just opine on things. No, I think it's this. And then I won't actually ask those people if that's what it is. Absolutely. And like. 
it's a it's about I always talk about like <laughs> I'm one of those <laughs> I'm one of those people who adds the word ethics on the end of stuff. I got good black girl ethics. Mm-hmm. I got I got good black citation ethics. Like I'd be writing ethics on it. And, well, I mean, I think it's a real thing. It is a real thing. I have I try to have good black girl ethics, and I try to have really good citation ethics. Like if you look at pretty much any paper I've written since like my third year of any grad school, article you've written, any article, like I cite the shit out of black women. I cite black women, and part of that is like me trying to do good work and not being trash. Most of the stuff that we be talking about is stuff that black women have already written and they are the least likely to be cited. They are the least likely to be co-authored, asked to be a co-author. They are the least likely to get tenure. You know, like this is, this is trash. This is trash. This is trash. And and because they're not getting cited, it's basically telling you that people are not valuing the work that they're doing. Right. And then people use their not being cited and they're not getting tenure as justification to say, oh, yeah, see, we shouldn't hire any more black women or we shouldn't cite them or we shouldn't give them tenure. It's a really sick, sick process. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing we're seeing when we see communities where they take away resources, they close schools, they make it harder to live in the neighborhood. And then people have a hard time living in the neighborhood and they go, see, this is why we got those some police in there because it's just not a good place to live you know it's like i think that if we would all kind of i think work to understand that doing good work means whatever you do wherever you do it like whatever your role is that you are thinking about the impacts and the implications to those who are in that role who are the least if you're always thinking about who is the least in whatever you do i don't care if you are a bagger at at the local Jewel Osco. I don't care if you are a librarian. I don't care if you are an NFL football player. I don't care. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter actually what you do. There is always a racial, gender, sexual ability, class, orientation, gender expression hierarchy. Yep. There's always one. Somebody is getting paid less than somebody else because of the way that they look or the way that they express themselves. Somebody is getting treated differently because of what was on their resume and how their name is pronounced or spelled. That is happening all the time. And if we're walking around acting like it doesn't affect us and it's not important because it doesn't hit our actual paycheck, then we are actively participating in that system. And I refuse. I refuse. Like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, a.k.a. That Black Couple on the web at thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at That BLK Couple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at thatblkcouple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, so we're back with the reflection. Are you ready? I'm always ready. Here you go with this shit. Okay, well, I, ain't, I ain't been ready the last four months. But I was I mean, gonna say because always is a bit of an overstatement. <laughs> I'm always ready now. I'm always ready when I'm ready to be ready, and not when I'm not. When I'm not ready, I'm not ready. But that doesn't count because I wasn't ready. Yeah, because but now I'm ready. But now that I'm ready, I'm always ready. <laughs> right. That's how. That's how it goes. Yeah, because you like to make up stuff. Um. <laughs> So in the reflection, I think, I think, you know, I gave an answer to this person when I was um, in the room that day about how to deal with like posers and people who are trying to pretend like they about that life when they're really not. 
And I think, you know, this kind of podcast so far has already addressed that. But I do want to also say this one thing where I think that, um, you know, we, I've had a lot of hard times with the ways that people address criticism. You know, people have this like, don't call out, call in and all this kind of logic. And I agree with that. I definitely think that calling out, call out culture, I think is problematic. I also think that it's very toxic and I think it keeps people from wanting to actually do good work sometimes because they don't want to have the risk of being called out. Um, and I think the idea of calling in is important. I do it frequently where especially, you know, people who are closer to me, I may say, hey, you know, that might not be a really good way to say that or that's not a good meme to use or maybe we think about a different way to frame this or whatever. And ten, people who I interact with tend to be very receptive to that. But I think in addition to call out, call in, um, that kind of paradigm, I think that we have to also think about critique differently. Uh, there's this idea that if you critique anything, it's because you hate it. You critique something and you want it to go away. You critique somebody, you wish they never existed. You critique something and it's like, oh my gosh, die. And it's like, I just don't feel that way. I, I, I really think it's our job to critique things, especially folks who are in positions where they have a certain amount of privilege because they have less risk associated with critique they should be doing more critiquing. That is my opinion. I think that people who have PhDs, I think that people who have more middle-class wealth, more intergenerational wealth, people who are uh, white, people who are male, should be taking more opportunities to critique the status quo. They should be working harder to challenge, to ask questions, to wonder and openly and publicly ponder about the things that are affecting those who are the most marginalized, who are the most decentered, who are the most affected by social policy and public policies that are negatively impacting communities all across the country. I think that is important, right? And I think that this idea that when people who are significantly marginalized, who are like the least among us, offer critique that somehow they're wrong, this is this is a, a tool, this is silencing. Right. That's a process of silencing. It's it's gaslighting. It's like saying, okay, well, you are actually the most exposed to this issue. You actually are the expert on whatever this issue is affecting your community. However, I don't like you and I have more power than you. So if I just yell over you and I use my platform, my Mm -hmm. access, call a hater. Yeah. Call you a hater, undermine you, talk about your body, sexualize you, whatever I have to do then that silences you and it delegitimizes you as a speaker on behalf of your community and on behalf of yourself. And I feel like a lot of academics do this. I feel like a lot of writers do this who are like, oh, well, I work for so-and-so place. And oh, I've got a degree in blank and blank and blank. And so that shit irritates me. That shit irritates me. Like, sure, I'm getting a PhD and that's cool. And I'm doing it for a specific purpose. I have to get this PhD so that I can, you know, educate scholars of tomorrow. That's how I can write these books that I want to write. That's how I can do this research I want to do. That's how I can get this money from these organizations so I can put it out in the communities that I'm interested in putting it in. Does that PhD, like, define me in any specific way? Not particularly, right? What defines me as being a black, queer, working class girl who grew up in Oakland, California with my mother. That is who I am. That is who I am. That shapes me. Indelibly, it shapes me. My cousins shape me. My grandmama shapes me. My hood shapes me. And I feel like 
when we start binding ourselves to these institutions and these kind of like hegemonic ways of thinking and hegemonic ways of being, and by hegemonic, I just mean like these overpowering colonial ideas about how the world should work, these social norms, status quo. That's when we really stop understanding that we have responsibilities and accountabilities to people, to humans. So for me, critique is not about knock down, drag out, throwing people away, so on and so forth. Critique is about accountability. And I don't waste my time critiquing people who I don't believe can change. I think most people are like that. I think most people actually spend a lot of critique time because it is an investment. It takes work. Yeah. And if you're writing an article or making a public proclamation and critiquing something, it's probably something that you think warrants attention, awareness, and should change. And for me, that's a way of holding issues, people, groups, organizations, institutions, governments accountable. And so we need to start taking critique more seriously. And we need to take our responsibility as those with privilege, folks who are maybe at the margins, maybe not at the margins, but people who have a certain amount of access. We need to take that responsibility very seriously, that we should be holding these institutions and individuals accountable to the ways that they affect people in communities around the country. Right. And that's and that's part of doing good work. I agree. Of, of being in that place and standing from and, and critiquing, but critiquing from a place of this can get better. And that's why I'm True. critiquing. Yeah. It's giving that active criticism. That's that thing that people say when it's like, don't just critique me just to, to point out how bad things are, but criticize me so that I can actually improve. Right. And that's, that is a part of, of doing good work and not being trash. It's also extending that to other people and saying, let me help you not be trash as well. Right. And to me, when I, when I think about that motto, I really think about, you know, that, the idea that the cream rises to the, to the top. I hate that saying. I hate it too. And I, <laughs> it's it's just one of those things like it's just really come to be that saying that yeah. matches that meaning. Yeah. And there's a lot of hist- history for that obviously. Yeah. Um but but that idea is is what I, what I like. Is I really believe when when you do that good work, you will you will get the the acknowledgement that you deserve. It probably won't be immediate. It's going to take some time. But it it will come to the top. I think it depends, though, right? Because there's some people who've been toiling for 25 years and don't get acknowledged. Yeah, especially black women. And I think and I think there's there's a time when you kind of need to stand up and raise your hand and say, "Okay, I've been <laughs> I've been doing this. I've been doing the good work, and you guys have all been benefiting from that. It's it's time that we actually acknowledge the source." Yeah. But I, but I really I really believe over time when you do that good work people see the good work a lot of times people get distracted and they get they get you know their their eye wanders and they see wow this new flashy cool toy does this one thing that's really amazing and different and it's so great and we i think we also need to realize that someone else getting some shine for a moment or someone else even someone else who is doing good work and actually deserves that type of attention that doesn't mean that you should now be deterred or discouraged from doing the good work that you're doing. I agree. And I, and I, and I feel like a fundamental aspect of doing good work and not being trash is really being about the work. Right. Right. That's, that's like the core is I'm doing this job because I'm about the job. I'm not about all the extraneous other things. Like if you're doing activist work, 
you're there for the people. Mm-hmm. You're there for the cause. You're not there for someone to say, ooh, look at you looking great. Or, ooh, you are such a, a wonderful pillar of the community. That's, that's not what you're there for. Mm-hmm. You're there for the actual work. Right. When when I write my my stories and when I'm, when I'm writing these novels, I'm not writing them so I can be at the top of the New York bestseller list. That would be great. Mm, yes, it would. I It'd would love wonderful. that. I would love that. Yes. But I'm not writing it for that goal. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I don't write books to say, what, what, what can I write that will sell and have that mass appeal to where I can be held up as a great, that's, that's not what I'm writing for. I'm writing because I believe fundamentally that there are stories that need to be told that are not being told right now. Right. And so I believe I have the skills and abilities to write those stories. Whether they, you know, get seen by 10 people versus, you know, 50 million is another discussion. But the actual meaning and the actual reason why I'm doing that work is for the stories and in this case for the people. And I feel like in anything that you're doing and anything that's worthwhile, that is what should be your driver and your multi and, and, and your motivator is, am I actually doing this for some good reasons? And as long as you're doing it for those right reasons and as long as you're doing that good work, The other stuff should not be as much of a concern. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThatBLKCouple, on Facebook at ThatBlackCouple, and look us up on the internets at www.ThatBlackCouple.com. Bye!